Welcome to the Art Studio Insights Podcast, where we demystify the creative process and exchange ideas with career-minded artists. We are your hosts, Adriana M.A. and Jackie Sanders. We are two emerging artists sharing forward the advice and business lessons we have learned along our journey. So if you're not already, please go ahead and subscribe. This will help other creatives like you find our podcast and you will be notified when we launch a new episode every week. On today's podcast episode, we are really excited to welcome David Wilson. David is a Durham-based public artist, born and raised in Clarksburg, West Virginia. Uh, A primary driver in his public works is creation for interpretation by all, with an overall goal, goal to foster introspection, communication, and provide a platform for education. David has served as lead artist for multiple projects in Durham, Charlotte, Raleigh, and Gastonia in North Carolina, big cities. He's created highly polished stainless steel sculptures and monumental murals as well. He, he merges his art and design skills with technology to create mobile applications for museums, galleries, and cultural centers that allow the public to become more immersed in their experience and interaction with art. So David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, having both on today. We're so excited to have you on here and especially hearing your name from a handful of other artists throughout Raleigh as we've done our networking. Your name seems to keep being brought up, especially talking about public installation. So super excited to hear more about you and your work. But in addition to the brief description that we said, why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners about your background, how you got started with making artwork and what your practice looks like today. Well, thank you. Um, And thank you for having me and inviting me on. I'm always, uh, humbled and honored to um, know that, you know, what I'm doing in a public capacity and creating art is making some type of impact. So that's all the way down to uh, project partners I worked with in the past. And if they're spreading the good word that, you know, David was a great uh, fit for this project and for this community and it resulted into a long lasting, uh, impactful piece of artwork, um, I feel like I've done a good job. So I'm glad it's landed me here with the two of you so I can talk more about public art. So um, yeah, it's been, it was, Uh, I guess, a difficult journey to find my path to public art. You know, I started out as a fine artist, of course, Um, uh, received a undergraduate degree in in fine arts and uh, with a major in design. And I worked as a graphic designer for uh, close to 18 years um, with Whole Foods Market, now Amazon. Well, Amazon Whole Foods. Um, (laughs) Very cool. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a very interesting position. It wasn't the typical, you know, set behind a computer um, in a cubicle type of design position. It was one at the time where, um, before Whole Foods was known here in the Triangle, it was Wellspring Grocery, which was more of a small uh, food co-op, and they had a really unique way to promoting um, and marketing their their uh, product set. Uh, it was usually a lot of hand illustration using chalk or markers, and we would uh, take these large pieces of white paper um, and create these beautiful posters using hand illustrated font and type. And um, I'd have just these big bins of like red paper for maybe a tomato, and I would make a you know shape of a tomato and cut that out and then paste it down onto this huge white piece of paper and yeah. write the price on there and you know label it as organic and where it's from and. They put these up in the storefront windows as ways to advertise. You can see them from the street. You can see them uh, from the sidewalk in the parking lot. And you know, I just thought it was a really unique way to promote. It kind of took back, took you back to those old time days of how yeah, know, sign making, yeah, lost process. The lost art of sign making, exactly. You know, you look at 
uh, how that was used to do everything similar to what I'm talking about now to painting on the side of uh, like even downtown, you know, like the uh, tobacco warehouses, you know, a lot of instances, yeah. those were all hand painted onto the actual brick facade of the building. So in a way, you know, it convoluted way, I guess it was leading me on a path to public art because that handcrafted approach to creating art, even though it was in a marketing and mm -hmm. um, advertising type of setting for uh, Whole Foods Market at the time, it allowed me to really have interaction with uh, the people that shop there because there were chalkboards outside that I would have to emblazon with some type of special or special event. Um, you got a chance to really talk to the people coming in and out of the store because it's right there at the front entrance. So, um, you know, I enjoyed that aspect of how my art could catch someone's eye, maybe, you know, move the conversation beyond whatever it was the product that they actually came in there to purchase to just, you know, about the community, about uh, family, about you know, overall health, um, sports, you know, you name it. You know, just got different type of conversations. And, uh, a lot of those conversations led to arts professionals who were here in Durham. And I remember making connections with um, some key folks down at the Durham Arts Council. And they had asked me, well, you know, have you ever done anything? Um, have you ever built a sculpture or anything? And at that point, no, I was more on the two-dimensional you know, painting, illustration side. And so we have an opportunity for a Centerfest, which was their you know, annual summer uh, arts festival, um, Celebration of the Arts in downtown Durham. And they asked, they invited me to create what was called the centerpiece at that time, which was you know, an interactive for the most part. If every year they wanted something to be interactive with the, uh, primarily the children and the participants there from the uh, community during the weekend celebration. And uh, that was my first public art. Um, well, not first, but that was like my first into uh, really the heart of Durham, creating something where it involved uh, coordination, not with just the Arts Council, but with um, arts professionals like teachers and educators and school groups that uh, come together and, and make, uh, even if it was just a temporary installation um, for the weekend. Um, and that was fun, you know, it led to all their connections to, you know, uh, speaking with uh, artists who lived here in the community, another artist at the time, uh, Emily Weinstein, who is a magnificent painter. Um, a lot of her murals you'll see up throughout the city. Um, she approached me about uh, doing a mural for uh, the city of Durham that would honor and celebrate Durham's Black Wall Street history. Mm -hmm. So um, just sitting down and talking with her, and we can get into that a little bit more, how that really yeah, you know, took, took, my, took my public art uh, career off into a trajectory that seemed like it was making sense, right? It really kind of fueled me to say, okay, I want to investigate these opportunities more and not just rely on them coming to me. I want to seek them out more. So. Um, here we are, uh, it was like around 1999. So we are about 20, 22 years later. Um, I feel uh, very, uh, again, proud and humbled to have had the amount of projects I've had. Um, humble to have, in the scope of that too, to have grossed over a million dollars just in commissions, you know, and nice. receiving public art commissions. And it, it's great that it translates now into this current workshop with Cynthia and Triangle Arts where I can serve somewhat as a, hopefully uh, an example of, you know, you can, you can do this, right? You don't have to, you know, particularly be uh, set in a major metropolitan city like New York or Chicago or LA to have success in this capacity as a public artist. So I love it. I love being able to work with different people, different backgrounds, different communities. So it's, it's been a blast um, the entire journey. And I'm looking forward to talking to you guys about, you know, some things that are happening now and answering any other questions that you might have.
Absolutely. A uh, quick follow-up question. So you mentioned some of your earlier public artwork being, you know, somewhere in the late 90s. At around that time, did you actually leave your designer job to go art full-time or did it take a little bit longer to transition? Perhaps you still have a side job. Like, how, how did that look to bring us from, you know, from that time to today? Like, how did that shift? That's a great question. Um, I did continue my full-time job. Uh, and was fortunate enough to have a supervisor um, and team leader in the marketing slash admin uh, department for Whole Foods who supported my outside endeavors. Um, and not just me, you know, you know, they supported anyone who had, you know, if you were in a band or, um, you know, if you uh, were really active in your kid's school, you know, like they really promoted to try to figure out ways so you could schedule your time and be efficient and effective at work, but also give you the opportunity to go out and really explore these things outside of work that we're passionate. Um, so I continue to work Whole Foods. It was you know, still something that I enjoyed doing as a designer. Um, I enjoyed that aspect of being able to you know, have a full-time position where I was still able to do something creative for you know, eight hours a day. Um, and then it gave me the flexibility as well to still continue to seek out um, uh, public art opportunities. And, uh, you know, Great that there were opportunities local as well. I didn't have to go, you know, you know, three or four states up or down or um, out west to in order to find these opportunities. It allowed me to still stay somewhat close to home base and, nice. you know, go after a, you know, uh, maybe a small opportunity in Durham or even a little bit further down the road, like in Charlotte or across the way into uh, Chapel Hill. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah and I think I think there is. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, so that's one thing that we talk about a lot with um, fellow artists and on the podcast as well, like, is that transition moment from if you have a full time job into potentially becoming a full time artist, but also kind of bridging that understanding of it does look so different for everyone. Some people need to go full in with full time art business in order to hit goals that they want, but others can very easily or very strategically balance doing both because there are benefits to having the consistent paycheck paycheck, it kind of relieves the pressure off your creative practice. And so just talking about how so many artists do it differently, some kind of do a easing away from the day job, some people given their notice tomorrow and figure it out. <laughs> it really depends on what, how you work as an artist, as a person, do you thrive under pressure or do you need that stability? And so we really appreciate you sharing that of that was kind of a balancing act of doing both. So at what point, yes. or maybe do you still work for them now? Or is it still um, or at what point did you decide that you were going to be doing public art full time? No, I'm just a shopper now. I'm just a, <laughs> I'm just a shopper and a customer. And uh, it's great, too, because I still see a lot of folks that I used to work with. It really doesn't matter if I'm in a Cary store or Wade Avenue in Raleigh or even a Chapel Hill yeah. or, of course, Durham. People keep moving around. Sometimes people went all the way out to Seattle and came back in some type of leadership oh, capacity. Um, so. That's fun in the sense of, you know, still having that connection to uh, good people that you used to spend, you know, eight hours of your yeah. day with. But um, no, I, just full time and full time public artist now. And, you know, I can't really put my finger on what it was that maybe pushed me to the point of saying, OK, this is going to be my full time focus now, which is public art. And I have made my mark with Whole Foods and then the design aspect of my life. Now it's time to focus on public art. But I do remember uh, my store manager was out west. I think it was in Chicago for business. And um, 
he wasn't due back until maybe another week. And I just remember it was something I felt like, okay, I just have to do this now. Right. Not like yeah. just walk out and say, you know, peace, I'm out of here, but at least <laughs> get my notice. Right. To say, yeah. here's where my thoughts are. And this is, you know, I made a decision two weeks, two weeks from now. Yes. I'll be moving on to a different aspect. And the way that I crafted the email was that, um, not that I was retiring uh, from Whole Foods per se, but um, I sent an email to my uh, store manager and copied the regional president, um, thanking them for all the support and you know, you know, love during the time that I worked there. It was great and you know, really getting to know everyone. And I appreciate all the flexibility they gave me in pursuing my art career. But I said, I'm retiring from work as of today. And when I meant work, I meant like going to a job type work. Yeah, you're not going to uh, be working for anyone else. You make your time, you make your schedule, and all the that, freedom that that comes with. Yes, that was <laughs> the that was the uh, uh, intent of the email was to consciously in that moment be telling myself, okay, this is the big step that you're going to take, and you're going to have to live true to it. And not not that that meant that, of course, during some points of time. I was this close to maybe needing to go back and at least find some type of part-time work just because of the nature of public art. You know, it's not that it's like a full-time job where you just get paid every day. Um, there are huge gaps sometimes in between payment um, on a project. And that's something we can, you know, maybe get into a little bit um, yeah. more, more details we, as we talk. But um, yeah, there was many times when I was this close to, you know, picking up the phone and saying, <laughs> Hey, you got anything open for me? <laughs> Even if it's just part time, you know, I can give you, you know, 20 hours a week. But, um, you know, having faith and sticking to it, uh, there's there's definitely something to that as well. It seems like when maybe you're um, facing the most adversity or you feel like there's no hope, you know, something comes out of nowhere. So um, that's been a key component of my you know, practice um, as well as just um, having a, a strong faith and belief that um, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And mm -hmm. um, you know, I'll, I'll be able to, you know, have what I need when I needed it all fall into place at the right time. Yeah. Now from your end, so obviously some of these things, as you do a project, word of mouth spreads or somebody sees it in public says, who did that? They may reach out. So that's when it comes in from an external standpoint, but how about from internally reaching out? How do you actually seek out opportunities? Do you cold call? Do you say, I love that wall, let me do something on it? Or are you just on the lookout for open calls? Like, how do you actually seek out opportunities? So you go shake hands, like, how do you, how do, you do this? <laughs> that's, that's a great question. Um, and that's something that we're working with the artists who are in the workshop um, with Triangle Art Artworks um, right now is to kind of get, not everyone's path is the same, right? But even though, you might have a different way to get there. Everyone in this workshop is focused on the same goal, which is to be more successful in the public art capacity. Um, so there are opportunities where you have to be like a guerrilla artist and just, you know, you see a wall every day, maybe you walk past it and you need to, you know, go back to your studio and draft up a proposal, you know, figure out my, what it might cost to actually create some type of treatment, a mural, or even if it's just a, something temporary in the sense of uh, like a vinyl vinyl exterior mural wrap that can be placed there for, for a time. Um, just to generate interest, you know, in that space, um, there are plenty of times when I've done that. I've worked with, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Emily Weinstein. That was a complete grassroots project for the, uh, for the Black Wall Street Haytime mural. Um, we went directly to uh, different local businesses, um, 
we went to the St. Joseph Historic Foundation, the city of Durham, um, and just had you know meetings set up with key people and basically said, hey, this is what we want to do. Here's kind of an idea of what, it, what we plan for it to look like. How much can you help us? This is our goal, you know? So this was, this was back in 1999. This was before, uh, you know, crowdsourcing and fundraising, things like that. We were just, we just wanted to make this mural happen. So we (laughs) did what it takes to, uh, you know, and find that funding and find that support. But now it's more, I'm seeking out opportunities through, uh, websites, you know, there's different listservs. I am incorporated into, uh, some of the public art, uh, uh, pre-qualification pools where they just automatically send you out emails for any opportunity, especially locally. So, you know, the city of Raleigh, Raleigh artists, I'll get emails from them, you know, broadcasting, Hey, there's new opportunities on the horizon, the city of Durham as well. Uh, Charlotte in some capacities as well through some of their arts organizations, not so much as directly through the city. Um, but I actively seek them out. I go to websites and, you know, look for opportunities that not all the time are local. You know, I look for opportunities that I think fit my profile for the, uh, experience of the materials that I work in, which is primarily glass and uh, metal, um, light to an extent. Um, and I seek those opportunities out and try to, you know, just determine what would be a good fit, um, maybe based off of what my current schedule is. Um, and of course, the budget for it, you know, that's uh, something we're working with artists too. You know, you come right out the, the gate of trying to transition from being a studio artist into a public artist. You know, you'll see an opportunity for $18,000 and you might say, wow, you know, I'd love to get that because <laughs> you, you know, in naivety, you might think, you know, $18,000 is a lot. But once you start to peel back the layers on everything that's involved in you know, materials and travel and, you know, community engagement, you might have to set up, you know, three or four times and rent a space and buy pizza and soda and chips <laughs> for everyone that's coming in to give you some ideas on what they want to see this mural or this piece of sculpture look like, Right. So you don't make $18,000, but at least it does fuel you, right, to go beyond of, okay, maybe in a gallery situation, I've done a gallery show and I've never made anywhere close to even $5,000 of uh, total sales from my fine art paintings or uh, illustrations or even sculptures. So um, I actively just seek them out now and try to just find opportunities that seem like they make sense um, to where my current you know schedule and um, availability is to complete a project because they are very demanding, you know, so you just can't go after every one of them and feel like you're going to be successful at doing a good job because you do have to put a lot of yourself into the project. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the day, kind of remove yourself from it as well. So it's not your high minded idea on what a piece of art should look like. It should reflect all of this different you know, feedback you've gotten from the community, right? Yeah, so. Yeah, and um, I think that's a notable point, like you were saying, like the creative process, even the design process is very different than if you're making work just in your studio that will display in a gallery or even in a museum or being sold to a private collector that can almost be an inside your bubble within your control process. And so you touched on a little bit, but I'm wondering um, if you could share a bit more on what that actual creative process looks like for some of these, especially if it's a site specific installation, you talked about getting community input, but is are there certain parameters that you stick within in terms of scale or material or um, what things do you consider when you're doing that site-specific installation when it comes to your creative process that if someone was thinking about it things that they may want to keep on their radar no that's a great question um, because it is 
it is unique, I think, with each opportunity. Um, in some aspects, like I was describing before, like if you see a wall downtown on Main Street, you know, that building's there. All right. So it is what it is. That's your canvas per se to you can't work exactly with. change the scale and make it larger easily. <laughs> no, no, yeah, yeah. That's your canvas, whatever that size is or whatever that real estate that the owner or proprietor of that building, you know, green lights for you to cover or treat, you know, that's what you have to stay within. Mm -hmm. Um and a lot of other instances, and this is probably more of a hallmark of my public art commissions, are usually attached to some type of capital improvement, which means the city or the municipality is doing some type of new build or they're doing some type of reconstruction, right? To, you know, rebeautify an area, um, you know, maybe place a greenway or a jogging path or some type of bicycle path through a corridor, you know, opening it up so there's more vehicular traffic that can coexist with pedestrian and biking traffic um, through a particular neighborhood. And usually with those capital improvement projects, there's uh, stipulations for a percentage of the overall project budget needs to be dedicated to some type of artistic enhancement, right? It doesn't really you know, say it has to be a sculpture, it has to be a mural, it has to be you know, whatever, but um, that money is usually carved out for some type of artistic treatment. And then from there, you know, in a situation like with Raleigh, um, you know, Raleigh Arts works with the city of Raleigh to, you know, filter through some of these opportunities where, you know, you can do calls for artists to submit, you know, applications or proposals to create something for that capital build. Um, so that's where more of my projects have stemmed from. And, you know, most of them currently right now are uh, based in some type of capital improvement um, uh, situation. And those are uh, not as locked in as maybe the building downtown where you'd want to do a mural um, just by approaching the owner. But you do have some constraints, right? You know, if it's where your work might be sited near flagpoles, you know, and I've run into this a couple of times where they don't want the artwork, the sculpture to eclipse the height of the actual flagpole. If it's, you know, <laughs> okay, got yeah. the state flag on it or the, you know, the national flag on it, you don't want your work kind of rising above that, right? So you have to kind of keep it in scale, you know, which makes sense. You know, I'm not trying to go out there and grandstand, you know, the state <laughs> or, or the yeah, nation so for my public art. Even though it's a 2D design of a mural, you do have to be aware of the 3D space that it's going to be placed in, in terms of trees that are around it, which parts may be more hidden. And yeah, outside objects, including landmarks. That's exactly. definitely a factor that you don't necessarily have to think about if you're making a painting that can go in a gallery. Yeah, true, true. A related question to that then is, especially since you do work both 2D and 3D, so say you see this open call, it's for this particular space, so let's say it's a park of some sort, and they're saying, give me a proposal. It could be on the floor, it could be a sculpture, it could be something that hangs from something. You know, like, let's say that it's open enough, right? How do you then go ahead and kind of get your design and creative process in there? Do you take pictures and then like work in some sort of 3D software or Photoshop or something like that? Like, what does that look like for you to be able or maybe old school, like color, pencil and paper? That's cool, too. But like, what does it look like for you to say, OK, here's my canvas, which might be a 3D for spatial, you know, like very complex situation uh, canvas space? And how do you go ahead and then take, I have all these ideas and put it in such a way that you can help them envision it, at least to the point of them wanting to talk to you and interview you. Because I know with some of those public art ones, you don't just apply and they pick you. They might actually like get finalists 
then set an interview, you have to basically sell them on your vision, so to speak, before they'll even go further down the road. So what does that look like for you? Because I know it must be challenging. You don't want to pour all of your heart out for possibly a no, but you still want to give them, like you don't want to spend 500 hours on something that might be declined, right? But you also want to give them enough that they're interested and they want to talk to you more and, you know, hopefully give you the bid. So, yeah. No, no, that's a great question. And that that's usually sometimes, most of the time rather worked out through the, the type of call that I might be responding to. There's a request for qualifications which they're only asking for like a written statement about your interest in the project, your CV, showing your experience, um, some images to document, you know, what your work in the past has looked like, and then rec references or recommendations, you know. Um, those are a lot easier, right? Because they do not require you to have to come up with a visual at that time. You just have to kind of like, like write it out, give some ideas on, okay, after I've reviewed all the materials for this opportunity, you know, I could potentially treat, you know, the space this way, but I usually keep it really vague. I don't try to be too presumptuous. Um, and most of the opportunities for public art, at least that I've uh, participated in, they require community engagement. So I can't come right out and say this is exactly what this piece will look like without, you know, getting buy-in from the project stakeholders and the community investors that will be receiving the art once it's done. Now for a request for proposals, that's where they definitely want you to give an, give an idea of what this form or this facade treatment, which would be a mural or some type of anything could be cantilevered off of the surface of the wall, right? It doesn't have to be painted directly onto it. Um, it doesn't have to be completely vetted out and finalized, but they do want to have an idea for scale. They do want to have an idea for materiality, like, you know, are you going to be using, you know, stone? Are you going to be using glass? Are you going to be using metal? A combination of those. Um, Siting, uh, you know, like where were you sited that will give uh, the best sight lines for pedestrian traffic, but also for vehicular traffic too. Uh, in some aspects, it might have to be something where it's um, near a, uh, a corridor or a thoroughfare where NCDOT has some buy-in to it as well, right? So there's nothing that's flashing or distracting the drivers, nothing that's- Oh you know, yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> kinetic movement right like you don't want people driving off the road trying to look at the uh, art so there's there's a lot of different factors once you really review the the uh either the request for qualifications or the request for proposals and they'll give you really a lot of the the framework in which you would either a write about kind of your vision for what this piece could be or you actually write about it and give them some rough uh uh models or maquettes um uh, as a designer, I rely on my design aspect. So yeah, I use you know software um, that's on my uh, desktop to model up you know different views, a top down, a side elevation, um, to give you you know or at least the selection panel committee an idea of what this piece could look like, and then give samples of you know different materials that could be used for that. Um, and then once you get further down the road. Maybe you do make the short list, you know, out of like 500 plus applicants, you know, from the United States, maybe even international that might apply for that one opportunity based on the on the uh, the scope of it and then the budget. Um, hopefully you make the short list. You out of that 500 pool of candidates who applied, you make it to the top five or the final five or the final three. And then from there, they might ask you to refine that. Right. Like, OK, we like what you kind of gave us a tease to. Can you refine it a little bit more, maybe even make like a physical model? 
which I rely on. Uh, I can do that in my studio where I you know, work and partner with um, other colleagues who might be architects who have a studio and they can, you know, maybe take some balsa wood and, you know, do the thing yeah. with making some mini miniature models that I can use in a presentation. So, um, yeah, there's there's multiple ways to go at it. Uh, you, at the end of the day, what you're focusing on, or at least what I'm focusing on as the artist going after the opportunity is not to give too much because I think everybody on the panel gets it or hopefully for the most part, they get it like he can't, you know, give us an idea on exactly what this thing will look like. But you want to try to hit the mark as close as possible um, and then allow, you know, your experience and your uh, your ability to communicate, you know, with that review panel, um, make connections and, you know, hopefully at the, your references too, of course, probably all back that up. You know, people say, oh, he's a pleasure to work with. And um, from there, you know, you just kind of sit back with your, uh, I don't really sit around and wait for responses anymore. Like once I submit them, I try to just turn them in and just leave it alone. I try not to like do a bunch of thinking about it. Yeah. There's, too many, there's already things I'm working on now that require my mental attention. Um, but after you kind of turn it in and you've responded to the opportunity and you've given what you feel is your best uh, shot of at least providing a little peek into what this opportunity could result in the form of a sculpture or some type of 2D work, you just sit back and wait and hopefully you get that call saying, yes, you got the commission or you made it to the final three. We're looking forward to talking to you a little bit more and getting some more information from you. And can you build us a model to, you know, maybe it's like a in-person past couple of years everything's been more zoom based not right yeah but, yeah. <laughs> yeah back in the day you would have to come in with your box maquette. or your yeah your maquette and just yeah. open it up and set it there and talk about it. which is fun because you always get the chance to see people you know they'll pass it around the room or they'll come up and actually if it's on a pedestal kind of walk around it and it really leads to a lot of good feedback and questions hard questions too by the selection panel members because in a lot of cases these are like project team members so you'll have engineers you'll have architects you have city planners yeah. who are sitting sitting in these capacities for making a final decision. So they'll point out and they'll say, okay, yeah, that's a good site for it. Or, you know, based off of the proposed height that you have for this piece, it may have to move here or there. And then that way you can start to have these conversations on the front end and they get a chance to see how you're able to think quick on your feet and be adaptive to situations, right? So that all goes into, of course, at the end of the day, have them figure out, you know, are you the direct fit for this project or not? Yeah, definitely. And while you're kind of waiting for maybe those applications to get responses from them, I'm sure you're filling out several others of kind of getting projects in the pipeline, so to speak. Keep the odds in your favor. <laughs> That's true. I am a volume guy. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do like saying. to ask. <laughs> yeah, I do like not so much as flooding it, but at least making sure that all the opportunities I felt like that I would be a good fit for have been vetted out on my end, at least. And at the end of the day, I might say, okay, just because of where that is or, you know, some of the other aspects now that I've read a little bit deeper into the call for qualifications, I'll rule that one out. But I do try to apply to as many as possible. And I do thrive on collaboration. I think that was in my statement. I love partnering up with other artists because um, I feel like that gives me new insight into maybe a creative approach to, especially a situation where I'm not a sculpture by heart. And of course, I'm more of a 2D uh, designer and painter, but I see a lot of things that are two-dimensional and three-dimensional form. So I can, I can visualize it and sketch it up. Um, but then from there, I have to turn it over to, you know, the masters who know how to work with that metal and that <laughs> yeah. medium, bend it, you know, fuse it together and to create, you know, whatever the vision is that's in my head from there. 
Um, but I, I do try to keep at least somewhat uh, current, especially for local opportunities. If there's something local that I'm aware of, most likely I'm going to apply for it if it you know makes sense, you know, or at least reach out to someone else and say, hey, do you want to partner with me or collaborate with me on this opportunity? And, yeah, that's uh, awesome. See where it goes. Yeah. Speaking of, you know how you were saying earlier about kind of, but not really flooding it. There's actually a, a side or a side benefit to this is if you are, in fact, just applying to all the things, right? You are still vetting them, of course, that you can do it. But even if you're not 100% on them, it's also a way to get your name out there. So they'll start seeing, oh, there's David, he applied. And perhaps even if, like you said, maybe you were tapped on the shoulder, whether you made the shortlist or not, they might say, I actually love that. It won't work for X. I think this person's a better fit, but actually we have this other project. And the fact that they actually got to see it, then it could lead to a potential opportunity down the road. So I do like that because then it makes also makes it a little less of a sting if it's a no. Because <laughs> exactly. it could open something down the road and it's a numbers game, kind of like, yeah. I mean, sure, if you only apply to two things and both of them are no, that's gonna hurt. But if you're applying right. to 20 things, chances are at least one or two will come up. So that's kinda, right. it kind of helps out. <laughs> And they'll well, see it, me 20 times. That's true. That's, you, make a, you make a keen point. Again, all things that we're discussing and trying to uh, impart in the public art walk, workshop with Triangle Artists, or Artworks rather, um, there's overlapping connections and relationships uh, in the public art administrative side. You have public art consultants, you have public art directors, you have directors who are working uh, with parks and recreation who might not have a direct title as being a public art director, but they handle a lot of public art responsibilities just from the nature of their department getting a lot of capital funding. Either uh, it could be federal and state or just you know one or the other. Usually it's a combination or just state funding to do something new right in a neighborhood. A new park or this park needs you know new features, all the playground equipment. Um, is outdated and it's dangerous and we need to come back in and like relevel the sidewalks and as a result of that we're going to carve out some funding for um, a public art or some type of art elements enhancement a lot of times these people might know as well since they're in you know in that high profile capacity of knowing where opportunities for new builds are coming they also might be linked into private investors who are coming in to put a business in. Oh, so in that aspect, yeah. they control the they they control the narrative. They don't have to go through the city of Raleigh or the city of Durham's public art uh, request for qualifications and finding an artist, right? Like vetting it out that way because the funding is theirs. You know, it means they don't have to have an open process or open call. Um, they might call directly a, a public art director or a consultant who's been retained by the city or municipality and say hey give me three or five people that might be a good fit for this opportunity and then you get those you know kind of out of the blue inquiries like maybe a heads up email so and so from you know lifetime fitness or whatever contacted me and they're opening a new flagship store and they want you know a big mural inside the uh aquatics area or inside the basketball um you know, uh, split, uh, space, can you come in and do that or give a proposal for it? Nice. So there's yeah. different levels to having to be able to write out what your vision is and um, almost kind of sell yourself to your own agent um, in, in, a, in a way, um, because it is a different process when you have to go through a private client versus a, a public client. Um, but all those overlapping connections, again, still bode well for you as the artist, as long as you are 
making more connections and increasing your visibility by putting your yourself out there. Yeah, if you apply for one project per year, your odds are either you're going to get it or you're not going to get it right. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> that window is really small for you to kind of increase that that uh, visibility for what you do. But yeah, if you go up to twenty and take that number up more, maybe you get a couple, and on top of that, you raise the antennas for folks who are working at that capacity that will connect you with maybe some private ones that are not, you know, in that same calendar year, but just because they know this company's coming into the area in a year or 14 months from now, it might timing wise segue perfect to where another opportunity you just got will be completing. So you can kind of move right into yeah. another project. And that's the beauty of it, trying to like string projects together to where <laughs> you're not going crazy by having you know, five deadlines due in the same month, but you can hopefully plan it to where as they, uh, you know, kind of overlap to an extent. And a lot of times the creativity fuels, you know, different ones too. If you got yeah. three or four going concurrently at the same time, they could be all for different type of, uh, you know, maybe two of them are sculptures and two of them are two-dimensional facade treatments, but just something about whatever you're doing uh, for another project might lend to this one. Maybe you couldn't figure out like a particular color palette, but through working on this other project, the kind of light bulb goes on and says, oh, you know, that's what I need to explore for this other one. So there's some yeah. benefits to it as well to having multiple things going on at once as opposed to just saying, I like to work on one thing at a time. But everybody has a different approach to it. So whatever you feel most comfortable with, I always try to uh, champion and promote, you know, you know, stick with what you know best. But hopefully you can take some of the things that um, like the artists in the workshop can take some things that are just kind of standard practice and maybe roll it into what they do and make it work for them, you know, fit it for their own profile. Yeah. And I think that is an interesting point too, as you touched on being a public artist, you kind of have to balance in addition to being a visual artist, you have to balance so many different mediums and scales and types of work that you're making based on all these different proposals too. Like being known for a specific style may become a little bit harder if you're doing murals and sculptures in corporate <laughs> buildings and outdoor sculptures. It's different than creating a cohesive series of paintings that you can make. It's maybe more obvious to some of, oh, that artist did this painting as well, versus connecting a style of mural that may be a very specific commission to a very open-ended sculpture open commission call. So how do you juggle those? And also from an income stream, I know you've talked about um, doing murals and public sculptures, and you brought up that you're teaching now too, which is amazing. As your own entrepreneur, business how does that look income stream wise in terms of percentage of where your income comes from from teaching or public art calls or private commissions all those things uh great question yeah the i'd say 100 percent of it you know is uh from some aspect of public art uh a lot of my gallery uh and fine art side of me has kind of been put to the back for the past three to five years you know i still have ideas and i still work on a few concepts but um, i'm not doing gallery shows uh either solo or group shows um actively at least at the moment i don't take on a lot of like freelance um design work or like portrait work or anything like that so um yeah 100 of it is either coming from public art either actual an actual uh, active project or something that's connected to it, like what I'm working on now with Triangle Artworks and the Public Art Workshop. And, um, you know, just managing that, you just have to, that's an aspect that's getting you commissions is to be able to have some type of savvy with handling a budget. Um, because once you do receive a commission, 
um, not only are you the artist, but you are the uh, accountant, you are the project manager, you are the uh, hiring agent, manager. hiring manager, right? Yeah, you might have to vet out subcontractors, right? So you wear a lot of different hats, and um, you know you're paying yourself, you know, at the end of the day, but you're also working to make sure that um, you're creating, you know, your your work within budget and on time. Um, that you're, you know planning for the unexpected as well. You know, there's a lot of times where unexpectedly, you know, you might have to switch a vendor or a subcontractor. Um, maybe something with the project overall, with like where the piece was going to be cited changes. So that might call for a redesign or scaling up or scaling back. Um, so there is some savviness to uh, having this as a career that where you just rely on um, what it is you do on a daily basis. And it's not like you get paid every week either. Like you have to hit certain project milestones before you can submit an invoice um, to receive payment. And then just figuring out how you take a percentage of that um, to uh, pay yourself, but at the same time, keep your project moving forward is uh, uh, the challenge. And you learn it, the more projects you do, you get better at it. Um, you and know, that some aspects- finance side too of, okay, this is a big project I have in the pipeline. There might be a couple others coming my way, but you don't know exactly when that next paycheck is going to start hitting. So also the personal finance of budgeting and saving yes. accordingly and not, like you were saying, an $18,000 project doesn't mean you just made $18,000 and you don't know when the next one's coming. Right, exactly. And that that is something that you have to be consistently you know, cognizant of. The, uh, you know, the project that could be coming in right behind the one you're working on now, maybe gets delayed. You know, like I know with COVID, there were a couple of projects that um, got put temporarily on hold. Um, they didn't get canceled or, you know, completely, uh, you know, That's moved good. back for four or five years. Right. A lot of construction did happen. So that con construction continued to happen in the city of Charlotte. It happened, you know, uh, on a reduced level, I think, in Durham, you know, somewhat of a reduced level in uh, Raleigh as well. So those timelines moved a little bit. Um, but yeah, you know, you have to, you can't always assume that a project, even though that you've been awarded for it, is going to happen exactly in the capacity in which you thought it would when you initially received it, um, because these things are beyond your control. Like you're contracted to be a, a part of a larger overall thing that's happening, right? So, um, especially if there's federal funding attached to it, who knows which way that <laughs> Lots of red tape there that needs to be cut and figured out and maneuvered by people who are, you know, not artists and you probably won't have any connection with it just kind of trickles down to you at some point um so yeah you know light and get started and get that deposit exactly going. exactly Ooh. exactly exactly oh, and then from there soon. and you got to be adaptable you know like yep. if you if you can figure out ways to fall back on that not that i'm just you know i guess happy and blessed to have not been forced into the situation where i've needed to figure out some way to make a way um but knowing that I could, if I needed to, yeah, there's galleries I could reach out to and say, you know, I have, I'd like to do a show or maybe collaborate with some other artists, friends and colleagues. I, I know to maybe put together a group showing, maybe out of that comes some type of sale, right. Or, uh, contact people that I know that are connected with other people who might be looking for a graphic designer. Yep. Um, and you can, you know, kind of fill in and bridge the gaps that way too. So just being flexible, um, and being, uh, adaptable and being able to, you know, kind of think outside the box and and, and not panic as well, you know, is, is I think a, a key component to it because there is a level, there's a level of comfortability, right? Like everybody likes to feel 
comfortable. You want to know that you can, you know, pay your car note and your rent or your mortgage and buy groceries and all these things. These are required in yeah. this moder- modern day society. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a, if you were struggling already in the studio realm, and then you take this larger leap into the public realm where, again, everything might be tethered to milestones. And just because you've done your work doesn't mean that once you turn it into whomever else, it's going to result in you getting paid next week, right? Like, you know, there's, there's terms, right? They might have a 30-day net term on submitting your invoice. So from the time it makes it to accounts payable, that's day one. Not, yeah. from, the time you, not from the time you send it to your point of contact. Right. Like it might take two weeks, ago. two weeks to submit it. And then that's another exactly. 30 days. And all of a sudden you're right. like, it's been yes. 90 days. I don't even know where this payment is, but <laughs> that's right. That's right. I'm, so you have I'm to plan a quarter. Been waiting six months and the first check hasn't landed because we are waiting on funding. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> I feel when's, for the next, when's the next round? Can we get this show on the road? You. I feel <laughs> for you. Just, yeah, just that- give me a deposit. Oh, uh, but anyways, that's obviously a whole nother conversation. That's a rabbit hole we can definitely go into <laughs> about like the red tape and funding. And anyways, that, that would be a whole nother episode. Yeah. So <laughs> we may be able to discuss that, but real yeah. quick, um, and how would you define success? Not just as an artist, in this case, as a public artist, but, you know, however you want to elaborate on that. Well, probably in the public art capacity, I would define success by the lasting impression of you working on a project. Right. So that's that's in the connections personally that you made with project team members or community members um, and or your subcontractors to some of your. Uh, vendors that you work with to pull off, you know, creating some of the things and installing them. Um, And then what the overall art impact makes on the community once it's created and installed, because after, you know, I'm done with it, um, that community has to live with it. Day by day, they, you know, pass by going back and forth to work or to the gym or, you know, wherever the destination is, um, you want it to be something that is going to hopefully cause you know, internal conversations, you know, get people to think about something, maybe bright someone's day. Uh, maybe it's something that's uh, functional as well as aesthetic and it allows someone to kind of sit and contemplate for a moment. So I'd usually try to build or judge rather my uh, uh, success based off of how, you know, a project uh, receives attention and feedback after I'm done with it. Mm-hmm. Um, then uh, the number of projects that I receive, you know, I try not to use that as some type of uh, uh, yardstick or measuring um, component. Um, I just I would like to be able to receive commissions. I think that um, a direct fit for you know that I have experience. You know, something that you maybe you're close to me as well. It could be something that's uh, culturally based that deals with um, um, history. Um, which is always intriguing to me. You know, a lot of projects I've worked on have required me to do either independent study or to do, you know, larger study with a, a community group on a particular aspect, like with Black Wall Street, you know, um, going and digging in the stacks of Durham Public Library, meeting and speaking with, you know, uh, living history members from the community that, you know, came up to the uh, Hayti Heritage Center and sat and allowed me to interview them and take some notes. You know, that's fulfilling for me. So. Um, at the end of the day, I think if, at least for me, I found it as long as I keep those kind of things at the forefront, you know, the projects come and then the, everything that's attached with it, you know, the money and then people sharing it, you know, through social media and sharing it, you know, uh, through taking their pictures individually, the community members along with project partners. Um, but everybody sets up their own goals, right? Or everybody sets up their own kind of 
you know, parameters for what they consider successful. Um, some artists, uh, social media, the driving aspect maybe of their success in a studio realm. Maybe they make, make a bunch of TikTok videos to show their process of how they, you know, do a portrait. And that leads to people requesting portraits of pets or family members or whatever. And they're able to knock those out just because they're a really strong painter and they can paint quickly. Yeah. Um, so that they can usually carry with no problem over into a public project because they, they would be the person or have somebody there that's maybe connected with them in a way that's always snapping pictures. It's always like doing immediate posts to Instagram and a story, you know, so you can follow with them throughout the day and throughout the week and feel part and connected to this greater project that they're working on. Um, so if that's, you know, how maybe you operate in the studio realm, then, you know, I, I, we, you know, in, in the uh, public art workshop, we champion and we're always pushing uh, uh, the artist to, again, if that's where your, uh, your bread and butter is coming from on the studio side, yeah, you know, definitely take that to the public side. And if you don't have that aspect of your uh, career right now, you know, it might be something you need to look into. Maybe now you have classmates in here with you. You know, you got their email address and had their phone number, contact them and say, hey, you know, how, how do you do this thing with TikTok videos or take some uh, uh, initiative and just Google it and find out, you know, what you need to do to uh, create a TikTok video. But everybody, artists are, you know, weird in that sense. They have their personalities. <laughs> they kind of have their particular, you know, ways about going things. Um, and they might stay really stuck into that structure because that's what identifies them and makes them who they are. So right. um, I always preach whatever works best for you, but as long as maybe you're checking the boxes on some of these kind of standard things, you know, making sure your, your CV is tight, you know, no, no grammatical errors kind of laid out really well. And, uh, your images aren't blurry or pixelated. You have high quality photographs and uh, your recommendations are solid. Like as long as you check those boxes, be you and do however you want to do it. And then from there, you know, to see where the uh, chips fall and how it works best for, for your for your personal self. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's awesome for being able to translate, yeah, where you are as an artist into other forms. So looking back to when at the beginning of your journey, whether with school or even right before you went into the public art realm, what is one piece of advice that you wish you had heard early on in your journey? Not to give up so easy. You know, like I think early on, I was, as mentioned earlier, I was the volume guy. And I did apply for a lot of opportunities and I got a lot of rejections in those. And uh, that did put me into a space where I, I think during that time when I was working at Whole Foods, I got really comfortable and just said, okay, I'm going to take a break from doing, responding to any public art because I'm just not making any traction. I did this one project two years ago. Why can't I, you know, see any stepping stone type of progress from that mm, yeah. project I did. Cause it was a really great project. Why is that? Why am I not getting more opportunities, more yeses and, you know, shortlisted opportunities. Um, but I'm glad that I circled back around with some of those folks who were instrumental. Like when I was in uh, undergrad, uh, I was fortunate enough to have uh, practicing artists who were professors, but they also were practicing in the sense of they were creating even public art born on a smaller, on a smaller scale. Um, and also still doing, you know, studio shows and installations, especially my professors who were sculptors. Um, and they, you know, were able to really say, listen, you know, there's, you know, one project that's just going to open a door for you. So yeah. um, you have to you have to kind of stay at it and uh, maybe reevaluate, you know, what you're doing. Like maybe your letter of interest is not grabbing people's attention. Uh, maybe your slides aren't really, you know, 
even if you just have two projects, how are you capturing the images from different angles of those two projects and having high quality photos to uh, uh, represent that work? So um, if I had maybe that, you know, advice of how to kind of shore up some of those areas earlier on, like after that first project, instead of just thinking, okay, wow, I had this big project it should be opening the doors for me right right why have i not made it yet i put this application in but i love right. that of like not giving up but then also constantly evolving constantly seeking how can this application get better how can this proposal get better how can these images get better because there's always room for growth well somebody did all that work for me for that one larger project that i was referencing it was for the city of yeah. charlotte and it was a it was a it was an opportunity where as we were discussing earlier it just kind of came out of the blue i got this random email saying Hey, there's this big thing happening uh, with Wells Fargo in the city of Charlotte. Would you like to be? I saw your work. I don't know how this person found my work, but they found it somehow. It was more of my painting and my fine art uh, side of my work. And at the time, I don't think they were really even sure. Like the public art consultant who was based in Seattle, you know, she contacted me because she was hired by Wells Fargo. So all, all I had to do was pretty much say, yes, I want to be a part of it. <laughs> Yeah. And she had everything else. Like she had already downloaded all these images and found all these images of my work. And she That's had amazing. presentation. Right. So I a didn't have to do anything. <laughs> right. Right. That's what I think. Maybe that's what we're all maybe hoping to achieve. Uh, <laughs> I, I would love at this point to have like, you know, someone that could be a, uh, an assistant or intern or something like that to help. They just filter all someone. of your opportunities. You're like present the opportunities to me and I'll pick the ones <laughs> I want to do. <laughs> Well, in a sense that, that, but also something that's going to keep them uh, sharpening themselves, right? Like the more that they look at opportunities and figure out what's a good fit for maybe what I have going on, they'll be able to see where these opportunities might, you know, from the larger pool of what's out there, maybe things that resonate with, with their practice, right? So Yeah, it, and they'll it, also it, know of those, like what platforms to look at, like we were talking about earlier at the beginning mm -hmm. of the conversation, what are the, which listservs should I be on? Which website should I be looking at? How often are, the, are these calls coming out? I think all of that information is super valuable, especially as you're starting where you can almost like, yeah, apprentice under an experienced artist and say, okay, how does this process work? Learn it and then apply it to your own practice. Exactly. Exactly. And you, um, and you see that in you see that in history, right? Like I think a lot of artists always had their understudy or their apprentice in some type of way to you know help yeah. them shore up the load of the production aspect of painting something or sculpting something, but then from there help them kind of build their career up too. So yeah, kind of one one hand washing the other type situation. Exactly. And we have one question that we ask all of our guests. It, I don't think you could necessarily get an assistant for this amount of money, but <laughs> real quick, if we were to give you $100 right now and you needed to splurge on something with either your art business or your creative process, what would you spend it on that would bring you joy and maybe assist in your creative process? A hundred bucks. You know <laughs> what I might, I'd probably take it and go out and, uh, look for an external microphone that would probably be oh, the there best because <laughs> since this is like my yeah this is my first podcast actually first podcast so now well, that thank I've done you for one, letting us be your first interview podcast yes <laughs> yes thank you for uh, initiating me into uh podcast uh, yes <laughs> fraternity so um i look forward to doing more of them so I, I recognize i would need to have that set up right so that would what i, I think that would be a wise use of my hundred dollars well, to go out and find me a great mic yeah, I love that. And I think especially as you were saying with doing online teaching and being a mentor to other artists in our digital age, we're only going to get more and more with video calls and it kind of opens up the possibilities. So I think that's a that'd be a great use of $100. <laughs> yeah. And 
Anyways. <laughs> okay, so as we bring this up to a wrap, uh, I do have one more question for you. So you mentioned, uh -huh. obviously, teaching through triangle artworks. Um, any plans, obviously, if this is not cemented, we don't have to go into it, but any plans to teach this again, you know, uh, workshops on public art? Uh, yeah, definitely. We're, Cynthia and I were looking at opportunities where uh, other municipalities could adopt the same program that the city of Durham has wonderfully uh, put their support behind because it's valuable. I think it's very invaluable to have a resource out there um, like Triangle Artworks that works really hard to make sure that artists have opportunities and make sure that they're uh, paid opportunities, not just, you know, yeah. opportunities for exposure, right? Um, <laughs> With the finger quotes. <laughs> yeah, because there's plenty of those opportunities out there where, you know, private and public clients are looking for you to give them essentially everything for nothing. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I've, I've loved the, the partnership with uh, Triangle Artworks and that, that aspect and being able to work with them to help reach back and hopefully bring up artists, especially homegrown, like right here in our neighborhoods. Um, I'd love to see some of the artists that are in our class now, all of them actually uh, get some type of commission that makes sense for what it is that they really want to do. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much. We, like we said, we've heard amazing things from both students that are in your class and just from other artists around in North Carolina. And so we will link all the information about the Triangle Artworks workshop that you are um, a partner in right now, as well as potential future workshops so that our listeners can keep an eye on that listening. Um, but real quick, before we end this interview, where can our listeners keep in contact with you after hearing this, your website, social media channels, where can they get in contact with you? um well, social media i am not that present on right now and i know cynthia would just be reaching through the phone to try to like <laughs> maybe by the time this airs we can yeah. change that <laughs> yes we gotta get your instagram we gotta get your facebook <laughs> presence up here and I, and I love her for that um david wilson public art uh is probably the best uh place to find me now um www.davidwilsonpublicart.com you can look at the site and see uh, past projects that I've worked on. There is a uh, portion of the site that gives you some insight to current opportunities or current commissions that I'm working on now. Then on the about page, it goes into a little bit more detail about you know myself as the artist and just my approach to creating and you know what's kind of important to me in the sense of creating a, in a site specific public capacity. So uh, go there awesome. and as probably as that as that website starts to evolve and grow you'll see links to the social media aspect of me as well down Perfect. the road. Awesome. Thank you so much, David. We really appreciate you being on the podcast today. No, I've enjoyed it so much. Thanks. Thank you for having me on Level Up. I really <laughs> hope that uh, what we discussed has, you know, hopefully inspired someone out there, uh, maybe uh, 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 inspired someone to go out and seek out public art, if, you know, if it's just on your tablet, on your device, or actually go out into your neighborhood and walk around and try to find, you know, cool, interesting stuff. But I really enjoy it any opportunity to talk about and uh, feel free to invite me back on uh, when you'd like to have me back. Absolutely. So thank you so much um, for our listeners or viewers on YouTube. If you want to stay connected with us, uh, obviously with David, we'll have all the links like Jackie mentioned in the episode notes uh, with Jackie and I, you know, you can reach out to us and kind of share things that you have learned on this episode, maybe some ideas, maybe some of those listservs or where you find opportunities. You can find us on social media. I'm at a mate art across all platforms. And I'm at Jay Sanders studio on all platforms. Thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you next week.